This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 19th of November 2021. And Norman, one of the things that we've been watching really closely this week is the growing COVID outbreak in the Northern Territory, which is threatening remote communities. We've talked a lot in broad brushstrokes before on this podcast about why COVID is such a nightmare for remote Aboriginal communities. But let's dig into some of those complexities today. And with us today is a really special guest, uh, Pat Turner, the CEO of the National Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation, or NACHO, which is the umbrella organisation for 143 Aboriginal community controlled health organisations all over the country. Pat, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. I wish it was under better circumstances, but nevertheless. Yeah, Pat, we'll get you on for good news um, in 2022. (laughs) Yeah, great. So, Pat, Just give us a sense of the size of the problem, because I think some people might be uh, surprised and how nervous you are about Australia opening up at the moment. Well, I'm extremely nervous, uh, which is why we're, you know, encouraging things like vaccine, you know, vaccathons and door to door vaccinations, uh, which some of our regions have had, you know, more success in. So at the beginning of the pandemic, you know how nervous I was when I said that COVID getting into our communities would spread like wildfire. Well, that's certainly proven to be the case. You know, before the outbreak in June in Sydney, we had 153 people nationally infected with COVID, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And now we've got more than 7,500 people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who have contracted COVID and sadly, we have now had 15 deaths related to COVID. Almost all of these cases have been acquired since June 21, when Delta got into our communities. So on opening up, what should the states and territories that haven't yet opened their doors, what should they be doing to prepare? Uh, I'm glad that the Northern Territory Government is now working collaboratively with our sector. It's got to just be a really determined effort by South Australia in the remote areas, by Western Australia statewide, by Queensland statewide, including the Torres Straits, and of course the Northern Territory have now got their wake-up call. And we should not have to wait until these infections get in before the health authorities get in and start the vaccinations. They've got to do it now. There's only a small opportunity before Queensland opens up but it must be an absolute intense effort by everybody concerned. And you can't just rely on closing Aboriginal communities. It's not fair. We did it last year. We were extremely successful with that last year. But, you know, we've now got the Delta strain. Who knows whether there's going to be any other types of strains of uh, the COVID between now and uh, when our people are fully vaccinated. So we've just got to be ready. And people have really got to put their pandemic plans in action and do it jointly and in full partnership to make sure we get the maximum coverage. I've always said that I wanted 100% vaccination of our people before the country opened up. Well, obviously that hasn't happened. And I now think that the states have got to work consistently and in the territories with the Commonwealth and with our sector and with other services that can assist 
So they sent Ausmat teams into Western New South Wales. They sent the RFDS in. The RFDS was assisting by providing the supply of vaccines in the Kimberley earlier, and it was our sector that was putting the jabs in the arms. But now we need everybody to make sure we get as much coverage as possible. So let's go to the NT because that's where this outbreak is happening in a remote area. What's your take on what's going on? Well, look, on November the 15th, we were advised that an Aboriginal person had tested positive for COVID-19 in Robertson River. As of the 17th of uh, November, there are 19 positive cases in the NT. So you can see how quickly it spreads, and we all know that. Even in a place which is relatively highly vaccinated. Yes, that's right. Vaccine coverage in Robinson River is relatively high, with 88% having received at least one dose and 77% are fully vaccinated. Now, Pat, let's go back a year, because during, or more than a year, 18 months, because one of the great success stories of 2020 was the community-controlled health organisation response and community response to the first wave of COVID, which really kept COVID out of Aboriginal communities, despite a lot of fear, particularly fear for elders. What's the difference this year from last? Because last year, it really worked. We really felt the full brunt of the Delta strain with the New South Wales outbreak. Once it got into Western New South Wales, which we'd warned everybody about, including in a submission that I did to the COVID inquiry, parliamentary COVID inquiry, in July last year. And in fact, I used two case studies to demonstrate the seriousness of COVID getting into our communities. And Wilcannia was one of the communities that I used as a case study to explain how it would roll out if it hit and everything came true. What wasn't done then that should have been done? Well, I think that Wilcannia should have been closed to outsiders being able to stop there. I mean, I think they could have had a thoroughfare uh, through Wilcannia, but not allowing outsiders to visit or to stop off. So, you know, they could have done that and they didn't. And they reacted rather than had a pandemic plan in place. I mean, as soon as the Delta strain got into the Greater Sydney region, all of those communities should have been put on alert to increase the vaccination rates and have the coordinated response that we eventually got with all of the parties going in and assisting. Meanwhile, I don't know what the impacts of long COVID are going to be for those people in Western New South Wales. We'll just have to wait and see. I was looking at the data today and the gaps widening between, particularly in Western Australia and Queensland, the gaps widening between the average level of of immunisation and Aboriginal communities. Just goes to show how, you know, why I'm disappointed in the performance of state governments. I'm still disappointed with the state governments because they seem to want to pass the buck to the Commonwealth for everything and I think that they've got a role to play as well. And when you look at communities uh, in the Kimberley, for example, you've got a variation across communities, Norman. So Beagle Bay is now 100% vaccinated on the peninsula and, you know, very high rates on the peninsula. And you go to other communities and, you know, well, we've had some communities uh, just refusing to allow our staff in to do the vaccinations and, uh, and so that's 
you know, required a lot of coordinated effort with the state and uh, other parties to try and convince these people that, you know, they really need to get vaccinated. So we're vaccinating all around that area, all those areas, as fast as we can. But I think people became complacent. So you had a, you know, very heightened awareness in Victoria, New South Wales and the ACT when the outbreaks occurred in these locations because the other areas have been, you know, had very small numbers, really, like South Australia and Tasmania and and so on, and moved very quickly to lockdowns, they still didn't move as quickly to make sure that the populations were vaccinated. So as usual, we get generalisation about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities as if they're all got problems with vaccinations. And as you've illustrated, it's, it's, it's a mixed picture. What are the features of Aboriginal communities which have low rates of immunisation? What's going on there? Well, hesitancy based on a lot of misinformation and some religious beliefs, where the myths have emanated out of the United States, in fact, and being spread by uh, religious people in Australia. We've got a lot of these uh, Pentecostal groups and whatever that exist in Aboriginal communities and the pastors are very well versed in the in the Bible and know it inside out and back to front. And as we know, pastors like a congregation and consider their whole communities to be congregations. Uh, so they've been very difficult to get a real engagement with on the public health advice. So it's the mark of the beast and, you know, issues like that that really have frightened people, but have also left people with the impression that they'll be saved by God, where we're trying to say, well, if you get vaccinated, it's an act of love and God wants you to practice that towards each other and protect not only yourself, but your family and your elders and your community. So we're still working with a group of pastors to try and get that messaging out there and get that more widely distributed to those communities that we've got this uh, religious uh, beliefs overriding sound uh, evidence-based public health uh, uh, measures. So what's different in those communities that you mentioned that have really high vaccination rates? Beagle Bay is a Catholic community. We haven't had any problems with the mainstream religious leaders. So the issues with some of the communities who have really strong Pentecostal churches present in their communities. You know, so we heard about this quite some time ago in Central Australia and our CEO of the Central Australian Aboriginal Congress wrote to a group of the religious leaders in Alice Springs and asked that they, you know, promote the vaccinations and work with the community-controlled health sector And they replied in the positive, you know, in the affirmative and said that they would and they would disabuse any of the misinformation as far as they could. But it wasn't necessarily their church groups that were involved in this uptake of these myths that have emanated from the United States. And of course, the other worry that you've certainly had for a long time is elders and communities because they're the most vulnerable. Yes, that's right. You know, and the rapid ageing of our people as well. So the lady in her 60s, you know, we would consider to be an elder. Overall, we think that we've done a good job in getting the vaccine supply readily available to our sector 
all they have to do, all our ARCHOs have to do is advise us what their dose requirements are. And we've also provided additional support uh, with money that we got from Commonwealth Health uh, so that they could employ community engagement officers at the local level. They could order the additional PPE and all the other, you know, and do the community messaging at the local level so that they could make sure they were getting the messages that would resonate at the local level. So a lot of support has been uh, provided to our sector and, you know, it's just disappointing, I think, that uh, the state governments have not had the same sense of urgency applied in working as hard as our sector has been. Pat Turner is the CEO of the National Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation. And that's all we've got time for on today's Coronacast. Your questions and comments, as always, can go to abc.net.au slash coronacast. And we'll see you on Monday. See you then. <laughs>